dismissed. And as you're sitting down, please shake hands with the person next to you. Welcome them to service. Amen. Well, it is great to have you all here with us this beautiful day. I think something about just the summer and the spring gets me really excited. The sun, the vitamin D. I don't know about you, but I just have more energy during this time. Winter, I just uh, I need a lot more co- coffee uh, to get my day going. But it is so good to be here with you. We are beginning our new mini-series inside the larger series as we look at the story of Moses. We just finished four weeks in the story of Joseph, and we are moving chronologically right into the life of Moses. And this morning's sermon is titled, God's Plan, God's Path. God's Plan, God's Path. If you would just pray with me one more time, and then we will dive into the Word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we are, again, so grateful that we can gather together in your name. As a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, as we worship you through song and hearing your word, I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will make this word come alive, your word, the word that you spoke and led the disciples and others to write these words. We pray, Holy Spirit, that they will come alive to us this morning, that we won't just add them to our shelf of information, but that we will allow your spirit to bring transformation. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, I often tell stories of my failures because I think we can all relate to failures. And one of my biggest blunders was when I almost lit my house on fire. I don't often confess this because it's embarrassing, but especially because I was forewarned not to do what I did. Uh, I was uh, alone with just MJ and Amelia. Liam was not yet born. We were in our house in Pittsburgh, and uh, Hillary had to go somewhere for a meeting, and I was in charge of making dinner. Now, I told her, I'm going to make chicken nuggets, and she said, if you make chicken nuggets, please clean out the toaster oven before you do that, because it was really really bad. And there was all kinds of stuff right next to the things that make it hot. And uh, I can't remember what they're called right off the bat. But uh, she said, please clean it out. Otherwise, it could be dangerous. And I thought, nah, I'm not going to do that. It, it's dumb dinner day. I'm just going to make it really quick. We call it dumb dinner when we do something super simple that anyone can do it. Uh, it's dumb dinner. And so this was one of those things. I'm like, how, how can I mess up a dumb dinner? That's always a question you have to ask. Well, anyways, so I, I light them uh, into, the, into the toaster oven, and I, I turn it on, and wouldn't you know, flames are everywhere. <laughs> Just lights on fire, and I kind of freak out. But then I remember my father-in-law is a fireman, and he always makes sure that we have a, uh, a nice little, um, oh, man, I'm losing the, it's not a hydrant. Give me the word here. I, I'm forgetting. It's an extinguisher because it extinguishes the flames. Uh, you all know more things than I do. And uh, so I use the extinguisher. I, I, I blow out the fire, super happy with myself. But now we don't have dinner, and I just ruined our toaster oven. Hillary comes home, and of course I have to say, honey, I ruined the toaster oven and almost lit the house on fire. 
Well, she said, I told you to clean it out, and he didn't, right? I recognized that I was trying to do things my own way. How many of you are guilty of trying to do things your own way sometimes, right? It's, it's a human condition. <laughs> Mary raised George's hand for him. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that, was, that was good. That was good. Right, we, we try to do things in our own way, but God has a plan and a way. Now, my wife knew the right way to cook in the toaster oven, and I thought I knew the way, but God also has plans for our lives and a path for us to take, but we often try to do things in our own will and our own way. Too often, we plunge into life just going after it without pausing and asking the Lord for His direction. But I, I tell you, just like I failed at properly cooking chicken nuggets, failure will always follow the path produced by ourselves. It's always on the heels of the path we produce by ourselves. We will fail when we try to do things on our own. Because we need the Lord. We need the Spirit of the living God guiding and directing our path. And when we try to do it on our own, failure will always Follow. The story of Moses is one that shows us how following our own path can lead to failure. Following our own path leads to failure. So the question that we have to ask is how can we avoid the paths that lead to failure in life? How can we avoid these paths? And I believe that we can see six path, pathways to take that will help us get on the right path. And we see in these verses, I'm going to bring us up to speed a little bit to where we're going to be. The story of Moses was that he was born in a time where he wasn't supposed to be born. They did not, Pharaoh did not want Hebrew men being born, no, no male babies. But his mom put him in a basket down the river and Pharaoh's daughter found the baby, decided to raise the baby, even though she knew that the baby was a Hebrew. And so as a, uh, a person within the court of Pharaoh, he learned everything that a prince of Egypt would learn. He learned how to speak, write, mathematics. He learned all kinds of things. He was a powerful man. He was a strong man in speech, which is really funny because we'll see next week that when he talks to the Lord, he pretends like he's a weakling and can't do anything well. But he was raised in the courts of Egypt, the highest levels of education that you could ever imagine. And 40 years later, after his birth and that miraculous story, is where we pick up in the story of Moses. Again, I believe that his narrative will answer the question, how can we avoid the wrong paths of life? The first way that he gives us is surrender. Surrendered thoughts lead to the proper path. Surrendered thoughts lead to the proper path. Let's see where I get that from Scripture because I believe that as we look at Scripture, God's Holy Spirit brings to mind and brings to our lives and our hearts ways that we can obey the Scripture. In, in Exodus 2, 11 through 15, the word of the Lord says this, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. 
When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And then Acts 7, 23, this is Stephen giving the whole history of Israel to those who were about to kill him. He says, when he, that's Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Now, Moses was not ignorant of his genealogy. He knew that he was a Hebrew. That was something that was intrinsically put within him. He was not fooled into thinking he was Egyptian. We know this because his mother was his wet nurse, which is a phenomenal story of God bringing the baby back to the mother who hid the baby and put the baby away. But God was able to bring about this connection where the mom was still able to nurse her own child. A beautiful picture of this wonderful redemption of God bringing this together. And I'm sure that as he spent time in that house, as he spent time as a baby and then as a toddler in that household, he learned of Yahweh. He learned of the God of his people. He knew who he was as an Israelite. But he still remained in Egypt as a prince of Egypt. If you were to read Josephus, Josephus, the the Jewish historian, would say that he was even being groomed to be a prince of Egypt, possibly the Pharaoh. And so he had two conflicting realities in his life, but he knew who he was. And it came into his heart, Stephen said, to go and check out his people, to go and see what was happening in their lives. Now, the Greek word for heart that Stephen uses is cardia. Well, we understand that we can have cardiac arrest, that the, the, the cardio is about our heart. But in the philosophical sense of cardia, it means that a thought popped into his head. A random thought came to him out of nowhere. We have no idea why. He turned 40 and a thought popped into his head. Let me go check on my people. I know I'm an Israelite. I want to go out and see what's happening. Now, as if he didn't know that his people were already slaves. He already understood this, and I'm going to show you why I believe he already knew who he was as the deliverer of Israel. It popped into his head that I'm going to go and check this situation out. And he went and saw what he knew he was probably going to see, a Hebrew being beat by an Egyptian. Now think about this. This should not be a shock to him. He knew, again, what the Egyptians were doing to the Hebrews. He knew that the Hebrews were slaves. This should not have been a surprise. But he went out there with the thought of murder already in his mind. He popped this thought and he went after it. My understanding of these passages is that Moses understood who he was. Again, I will explain that in a moment. But a a thought came into his mind and he acted right on it. Our thoughts can convince our hearts to walk in disobedience. He had a thought and he did not hold it captive. If he knew, which I believe he did, the Lord who was his God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, he he sensed this call from God to his life to be the deliverer. This is why he goes out and does this thing. Again, Stephen explains in a minute why I believe that. But his thought that came into his mind led to his disobedience. How often do you and I allow thoughts in our lives to cause us to disobedience? How often do we allow that path to begin, that thought to build a rut into our lives to where we actually 
walk into the disobedience. We utilize our thoughts to rationalize, right? Oh, well, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not that big of a deal if I go ahead and do that. And we dwell on the thought, and we dwell on the thought, and we dwell on the thought until it leads us to a path of disobedience. Moses could have turned this thought that popped into his head over to the Lord, but he chose murder instead. 2 Corinthians 10.5 declares that we are to hold every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Our thought life is where our sin life begins. Our thought life is where our sin life begins. When thoughts pop into our heads, we can take them and grow them captive to Christ or we can follow through with continuously dwelling upon it. I want to challenge you to not be like Moses, that we take those thoughts captive. When something pops into your cardia, when it just shows up, a thought that's in your heart, take it captive. Don't allow it to take you captive because our thoughts can convince and often do convince our hearts to walk in disobedience. So we see that having proper thoughts leads to the proper path, holding them and surrendering them to the Lord. We can also see the second way we can avoid the wrong paths of life from Moses, and that's this, that we are to recognize entitlement always leads to disappointment. Entitlement always leads to disappointment. Acts 7, 25 says this, He supposed, that's Moses, that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Now here is a passionate 40-year-old Moses who has the sense of calling on his life because of what Stephen says. He supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. He had an understanding of who he was. He recognized that he was to be the deliverer. How this happened, we don't really know. How this was birthed into his heart, we don't have a really good grasp of understanding. But we do know from Stephen, who is bringing commentary to the Old Testament, that he understood. And because he was Moses, I mean, he had this thought of who he was in his mind. I am Moses. I was saved from the water. I am part of Pharaoh's family. I'm smart. I'm powerful. I'm strong. I'm, I'm Moses. So, of course, when I do this thing, people are going to follow me. This is the beginning. I am showing the Israelites through this murder that I am the one. The promise of Israel is in me. So, of course, people are going to understand that. But they did not see it. In fact, that Hebrew who was fighting another Hebrew mocked Moses. Are you going to kill me too? Like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses realized that he had made a mistake. That he was following his own path, trying to do it in his own power, and he felt this arrogant entitlement that he walked into and it led to disappointment. Chuck Swindoll says this of this passage. God will not bless what he has not ordained. God did not ordain the murder of this Egyptian. 
A thought popped into Moses' head, and he thought that he was going to do it on his own, that this call on his life, he was going to make it happen. And so he went after it, felt entitled to the capability of his name and his title, and so he tried to do it. But it led to disappointment. He felt like he was properly equipped for this job. But a great quip that I often use is this. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Now, he had already called Moses, and Moses felt that in his life. But Moses was not yet properly equipped to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into their deliverance, into their promised land. Moses was not yet ready to do so. Moses was about to enter a 40-year boot camp. How about that? 40 years of boot camp. Those of you who are in military, picture that for a moment. Yeah, that's not fun. Your three months of boot camp was not fun. So 40 years is a crazy amount of time. But Moses was fled into the desert where he was going to learn some lessons. Another thing before we move on to those lessons in the desert, those 40 years of boot camp, is this. The third way that he gives us to avoid the wrong paths of life is to remember that hidden sins will eventually be exposed. Hidden sins will eventually be exposed. In verse 12 of that passage in Exodus 2, we see he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, even though Moses felt entitled to be the deliverer, as soon as he killed the Egyptian, he knew that he had, did, he had done the wrong thing. And so he hid his sin in the sand. I love how Chuck Swindoll comments on this, and he said, the sand always yields its secrets. The sand always yields its secrets. Our hidden sin will always come to light. We think that we can cover and cover and cover, that if we just put enough sand, if we just dig a deep enough hole, that the sin that's deep in our lives will be hidden. That we can continue walking in life. And what I'll tell you is that the more you walk thinking that you can hide your sin, the more holes you dig and the more sins will be exposed later in your life. It's a guarantee. I know of a, of a, a pastor who for 40 years lived a horrifically sinful life and hid it for so long. Now on his deathbed, he confessed to everything, only he didn't die. And so he had to live with the sins that he himself exposed. My friends, the sand always yields its secrets. And even if the humans around you don't know what you've done, the Lord does. The Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows the hidden sins in our lives. And it is important that we confess and repent and turn back to Him. Hiding those sins in our lives is not worth the stress, the agony, the pain, and the frustration that it causes to us. Because once we lie, we have to continually lie. It's not worth it. 
And it hinders your relationship with God. It hinders your relationship with others. Moses, his sin was exposed pretty quickly. People knew what had happened. He knew he messed up. When we fail, fail, many times we try to cover it up as well. Hidden sin leads to fear, and fear can lead to fleeing from our Lord and our call. Often when we sin and we hide it, that is us running from God, not to God. You've often heard me say, and I will say it until I die, that when we mess up, we need to run to God, not from God. The enemy's goal is for us to run from God. He wants our relationship with God to be awful because he knows that when we as believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit are in close connection to our God, that we will be a powerhouse of a Christian, that we will go into this world and we will be people who take back the land that the enemy thinks that he owns. And so he wants to keep us away from the Lord. He wants us to run away from him. He wants us to hide. But my friends, we are to run to God. God's arms are open when we fail. He does not look at us and say, oh, you did it again. I don't want to be near you. No, he says, please run back to me. Let me bring healing to those wounds. Let me bring what needs to be brought, and that is redemption and restoration to your heart and to your life. Let us not run from him. Moses gives us ways to avoiding the wrong paths. The fourth way that he gives us is to remember that failure cannot foil the Lord's plans. Failure cannot foil the Lord's plans. When we think that our failure can hinder God's sovereign will, we think way too highly of ourselves. That me, a mere mortal, in this tiny blip of time can hinder God's sovereign will. Man, that is just laughable because God is so big. God is so great that even in our failure, he can develop us and grow us and make us the person that we are supposed to be to fulfill the plan that he has for our lives. Failure cannot foil the Lord's plans. In verse 30, it says, Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. After 40 years in the desert, after 40 years of running away from his call, after 40 years of dwelling with this failure in his life, probably constantly playing it back to himself over and over and over again. After those 40 years of boot camp in the desert, God shows up in power. And he's like, eh, it's time. It is time for you, Moses, to live into the plan I have for you. Your failure did not foil my plan. You knew your call and you were right. You did it in your own power and you were wrong. Do it in my power and it will bring transformation. Now, we can't foil God's plans, but sometimes we can slow them down in our lives through our hidden sins, through our covering up, through our walking away from the Lord rather than to Him. 
God has plans for our lives, and we can slow those things down. But God's sovereign will can never, ever, ever be foiled. As you look at your failure, you might, like Moses, run away and think, oh, it's over. The plan that God had for me, I messed it up. You're not that powerful. You're not. You can't foil God's sovereign will. So stop thinking that way. The enemy wants us to believe that our failures disqualify us forever. That once we've messed up, that's it. It's over. It's done. We live in, in, a, in a transactional relationship with other humans often where when we do fail, they cut us off. It's over. It's done. We have one offense that we ask for forgiveness for. They don't want to forgive us. They're like, we're in a throwaway society. You messed up. I'm gone. I'm leaving this marriage. I'm leaving this church. I'm leaving this friendship. It's over. But God does not work that way. God is not one who throws us away like trash when we fail. He does not say, oh, you messed up. I'll find someone else. I'm, I'm done with you. That is not God. God loves us as his children. And when we fail and we run back to him, when we turn back to him, he embraces us. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He brings us back into right relationship because Jesus Christ died, paid the price to make that possible. Christ's blood is much more powerful than your sin. Christ's resurrection proves that He is God, that He is the one who covered over all of our sins for all of eternity, and we need to repent and confess and turn back to Him. You cannot by your sin, totally disqualify yourself when you repent and confess. Restoration is for you and for me. The fifth way he gives us is to silence the voice of shame speaking into your heart. Silence the voice of shame speaking into your heart. The scripture Exodus 3, 1 through 6 says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses ran away, not just because of fear of his life, but because of shame at what he had done. In the Hebrew, this understanding of Moses hiding his face wasn't just because God was holy. He felt ashamed. He had this sense of deep, intrinsic shame. How can I talk to God with what I've done. But God silences the shame. 
And we'll see next week, he continues to speak to Moses. This shame was dogging his steps for 40 years. Moses lived with the shame of his sin for 40 years. So much to the point when God, we'll see next week, calls him to his path, he makes excuses because now he is so full of shame, he cannot see the 40-year-old Moses. He only sees the 80-year-old beaten down by shame Moses, where he can't even see a way forward. He was a, a, a shepherd for 40 years. What good is a shepherd to bring people out of their bondage? I'm no warrior. I'm not powerful. I'm weak. The last 40 years, I've been beaten down by the desert and by my own shame. But we can, by the power of the Spirit living within us, silence the voice of shame and not live in this sense of shame. The good Reverend Michael J. Group said last week, Shame is not from the Lord, but conviction is. Shame is not from the Lord, but conviction is. The Spirit of God brings conviction into our hearts where we are to turn back. Shame says, you're no good. Conviction says, I can make you good again. Turn to me. Shame says, I'll never ever accept you for what you are and what you've done. Conviction says, if you run back to me and confess and repent, I'll restore you to who I've designed you to be. The Holy Spirit wants to silence the voice of shame. Shame is what brings us to that place of hiddenness. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis and Exodus, where he's confessing all of his stuff, which is pretty self-revelatory if you think about it, all these things he wrote about himself. But in the book of Genesis, we see in chapter uh, 3, after the, the fall had happened, we see that they, uh, Adam and Eve hid from God as well. They lived a life, as we see in Genesis 2.24, of no shame, where they lived unashamed, naked, before God and before one another. But after the fall, they run and hide from God because of their shame. I'm sure as Moses was writing that passage in Genesis, he kind of cracked a knowing smile. And he's like, I've done that. I've been there. And he writes with honesty and passion because he was a fallen man himself. He had messed up like Adam and Eve himself. Like Adam and Eve, he knew for 40 years he was hiding from his call and from his Lord. And so as he wrote that, I'm sure he was thinking to himself, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Silence that voice and listen to the convicting voice of the Spirit calling you back to right relationship with the Lord. Do not run anymore from the face of your Father. Run to Him and you will see His forgiveness. I told you there are six ways to avoid the wrong path that Moses gives us in this passage. And the sixth way I believe he gives us is to allow the deserts of life to shape you, not break you. Allow the deserts of life to shape you, not break you. Moses should not have run away from the Lord. 
But the desert shaped a prince of Egypt into a nomad who knew the desert better than anyone. Moses may not have been ready to leave, whether he did this sin and ran or not. He might have spent time with God and God would have said, I need you to go to the desert to learn the terrain. He, he would have found a way to get Moses into the desert to be ready, no matter what Moses did. Remember, God's sovereign will always works out to his plan. Moses might not have had to live in shame for 40 years. He might have been able to learn the lessons of the desert in 20 or 10 or 5 rather than 40. We don't really know. But what we do know is that the desert shaped him. It did not break him for the rest of his life. In the desert, God brought training ground. He was able to show Moses that he is desperately in need of God because he cannot in and of himself do that. I think that the excuses, although they were excuses, it also revealed Moses' understanding of his own weakness. Forty-year-old Moses would not have felt weak. He would have felt strong and powerful, entitled, and he had all of the might of Egypt in his brain and in his understanding of training, of combat, and everything. He would have known all of that. But 80-year-old Moses came to a place of humility. The desert will shape us. We can allow it to shape us for God's glory or the enemy's power over us in shame. While in Midian, he learned the terrain and went from pampered prince to the king of the sands. That's kind of a cool view of that desert experience for him. God was shaping him. And when the call came, Moses finally, finally, leaned on the Lord and His power. And he did what God called him to do. And Moses did a miraculous and wonderful thing as the deliverer of his people through God's power, not in his own entitlement. God has a plan and a path for each of us. The Scriptures give us God's plan for our lives and we must discern the path through prayer and turning to Him. We must silence the voice of shame. We must allow the deserts in our life to shape us. And this is very similar to the idea of Joseph where prison brought him to the place of prominence. You will see there are themes that continue to repeat themselves when it comes to the scriptures and the people therein. Allow the desert to shape you, not break you. Silence the voice of shame and follow the path that God has for you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for Scripture. <laughs> Your Word is so good. Your Word is so powerful. Your Word is so relevant. Even in the stories of these men and women in Scripture, we see lessons that we are to learn. I pray, Father, that we will learn these lessons. Pray that we'll let go of entitlement, that we will not hide our sins, that we will surrender our thoughts to you, and that we'll walk in dependence upon you and not ourselves. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.